pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Did you know that botulinum toxin, known as Botox, can reduce pain? I know what you're thinking, though. Isn't Botox just for cosmetic procedures like wrinkles? Actually, botulinum toxin injections are among the most commonly performed cosmetic procedures in the United States. But botulinum toxin is used to treat a variety of other conditions, including pain. It's FDA approved for chronic migraine, muscle overactivity conditions like arm or leg spasticity, and even an excessive sweating disorder called hyperhidrosis. In pain medicine, botulinum toxin can ease myofascial pain symptoms, chronic low back pain, and neuropathic pain. Although using botulinum toxin for pain conditions other than migraine is considered off-label, the literature strongly points to effectiveness for several painful disorders. We'll highlight one of these today, trigeminal neuralgia. Trigeminal neuralgia is one of the most painful of human conditions. It peaks between the ages of 50 to 70, feels like a shock wave traveling down one side of the face, can last up to two minutes, and can occur multiple times a day. Eating, speaking, even shaving often triggers the pain. Medicines, radiation surgery, even neurosurgery can help, but not all of the time. We'll hear even more about how botulinum toxin has made a big difference in the life of our first guest, Kathleen Sullivan. She had three years of life-limiting facial pain from trigeminal neuralgia. Today, she's remarkably better, all from Botox therapy. Dr. Charles Argoff then joins us once again. He's a professor of neurology and director of the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. He'll share cutting-edge information about the benefits of Botox for treating pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva Pharmaceuticals, The Pain Community, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Kathy Sullivan has suffered for three years with trigeminal neuralgia. Botox has changed her life, though. Let's find out more about that. Kathy, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Oh, thank you for inviting me to be on your program. On our last show, you talked about how you had to wrap scarves around your face to protect it from the wind that triggered your trigeminal neuralgia. The unpredictability of the pain prevented you from going away for the weekend, uh, buying airline tickets, or watching your grandchildren. Many treatments were unsuccessful, but Botox made all the difference. How long after the Botox injections to your face does it take before you notice a difference? The first time I had it done, it was pretty immediate. Within the first few days, I noticed a diminishment. And by 10 days to two weeks, 
I was just about symptom free. Mm-hmm. I have had such a little amount of pain that it's hard to say exactly when it takes effect. My insurance company will only pay for it every 90 days. So mm-hmm. I can sort of count on the last two to three weeks before my next shot, I will begin to see an increase in my symptoms. Okay, so it doesn't quite last three months then? Uh, Let's say three months shy, two weeks. Now, Kathy, do you mean that during that three-month period or or 10-week period that you have no episodes of trigeminal neuralgia? Again, aside from the last shot, I would have to say that is the case. What's so remarkable is that Botox has transformed trigeminal neuralgia from a suicide disease to a completely tolerable situation. It's been incredible. Occasionally, I will get a reminder that Mm -hmm. I still have it. But the reminder is like a flash in the pan. It is just a millisecond And the pain is much duller Mm -hmm. than it had been before I began the Botox injection. Before Botox, to further quantify this, how many episodes per day of this electric-like shooting facial pain would you get? Uh, You know, I don't know. 15, 20. And how many after? Maybe one. Just one per day? Yeah. Generally, if it's going to happen at all, Mm -hmm. it will happen when I brush my teeth. Uh, Now, Kathy, does the pain gradually return or does it come back like a lightning bolt, which is how some of my patients describe it? Gradual. Now, do you mean that you're having more frequent attacks per day? Perhaps not more frequent, but I will begin having attacks. Mm Mm-hmm. It it seems to increase more in the intensity than it does in the frequency. Have you noticed that triggering events like laughing or smiling or or talking are less sensitive now? I do think they're less sensitive. Mm -hmm. Branch one and branch two have no response at all anymore. Wow. So your symptoms are completely gone in the first two branches, but remain in the third branch, which is along the jaw. Yes. I am so fortunate. I'm just so fortunate. And that's a good feeling. How has the therapy changed your life? (laughs) I have a life again. I have my life back. Mm -hmm. I am able to travel. I can actually contemplate babysitting my grandchildren for a week, whereas a year ago I couldn't do that. I didn't know when my pain was going to occur, how often it was going to occur, how debilitating it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And now all of that is on the back burner. I always wonder... Will this pain-free existence continue, yeah. or is the bottom going to fall out when I you know, have another date on the calendar that's important to me? Mm-hmm. But for the last year, I have really been living my life again as I had before my diagnosis. That's fantastic, and it's really remarkable. Kathy, has Botox caused any unexpected effects? No, I don't look youthful on my right side. <laughs> no, none that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, is there anything that you don't like about the therapy? No. There's no, I, no. I look at life as risk and reward. Mm-hmm. So I have a little pain when I have the shots, and then I get a big reward at the end of it. I have my life back. That's huge. That's terrific. Does insurance cover the cost of treatment? It does. Uh, We have a very, very generous insurance plan. You're really fortunate. And it covers it every three months then? Yes, it's only, yeah, it it is. And what would you do if Botox weren't available? Microvascular decompression. My concern, and I I am weighing this, even though uh, the Botox is working, I do need to talk Dr. Argoff about this. Because the more I read about MVD, the things I need to worry about as an older 
person is that my age will work against me. I understand the surgery is a difficult surgery, and they recommend it for people who are younger and stronger and don't have any comorbidities. Mm -hmm. I'm not younger. I'm only going to be getting older. I am grateful not to have any comorbidities. So I don't want to lose that window of opportunity, but I need to talk to Dr. Arkoff. Is Botox going to be the answer for the rest of my life, Mm -hmm. or will I reach a point where Botox is no longer effective? And if that will help me decide whether I need to undergo MVD, which is not something I want to do at all, but... Right, I understand. You mentioned MVD, which is short for microvascular decompression, which is the mainstay of surgical management. It's when the surgeon, the neurosurgeon, opens up a small portion of the skull, I think it's a thumbnail incision, uh, and then manipulates surgically the trigeminal nerve, specifically moves the vessel away from the nerve. And we did an informative show on trigeminal neuralgia with Dr. Ken Casey, the neurosurgical guest. Go to paulchristomd.com and put trigeminal in the search box. Dr. Casey mentioned that the microvascular decompression is number one for safety, efficacy, and durability, and that if you're less than 70 and healthy, it really is the procedure of choice. But for those who aren't candidates for the surgery or who don't want the surgery, then botulinum toxin is a good option if the insurance plan will cover it. You know, I hate the fact that insurers are making medical decisions. I just think it's sinful that you would be forced into more invasive techniques when something as simple as Botox might be as effective with less risk to the patient. That's right. Uh, Kathy, do you have any friends with trigeminal neuralgia? I have three people I have met who all have trigeminal neuralgia. One is being treated with Lyrica, and the other two have had MVD with the surgeon that I met with. Mm -hmm. And one is a a, a much older lady. She probably in her late 70s, and another one would be about my age. And they both had immediate success with the MVD. Mm -hmm. As they awoke from anesthesia, their first thought was, I don't have any pain. They still both have total relief. They're four years out. It's hard to imagine what profound relief they must have had when they woke up. Before we close, what's important for us to remember about botulinum toxin for trigeminal neuralgia? I I wish more people would have an opportunity to give it a try. If they have anything close to the level of success Mm -hmm. that I have had, they will be given their lives back. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine anything more priceless than that. Uh, There's a website, a support group online, and I have read that a lot of patients are unable to get insurance to support them in their quest for Botox. Right. It is expensive. Mm -hmm. I wish insurers would open their minds to that, and I do wish people would pursue it. But I also have read that a lot of patients have tried it and not had success. So I don't know if that is because of the way their injections are given, or is it the way the disease manifests? Why am I having such success and other patients are not? Mm -hmm. But I would say give it a go. It's the least invasive way you can take care of this disease, and if you get your life back, then I don't think you can ask for anything more. Completely agree. I think patients should give it a go. Kathy, it was fantastic having you on the show today. Thank you. You are welcome. Very welcome. Don't go away, because Dr. Charles Argoff is coming up next. 
He's a professor of neurology and director of the Comprehensive Pain Center at Albany Medical Center. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Teva, the leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. That's achesandgains at gmail.com. Dr. Charles Argoff is a pain specialist and neurologist. Charles, welcome back to Aches and Gains. Thank you for having me. Last time, we talked about how botulinum toxin relieves pain in addition to relaxing muscles, that it's safe and lasts about 10 to 11 weeks on average, and it can be used very effectively for chronic migraine prophylaxis. Now let's delve into the off-label or non-FDA approved uses for botulinum toxin. For example, I use it for neurogenic thoracic outlet syndrome and piriformis syndrome, but the research shows promise for conditions like trigeminal neuralgia, shingles pain, that is post-herpetic neuralgia, diabetic pain, complex regional pain syndrome, and phantom pain. Let's talk about using it for trigeminal neuralgia. Kathy, our previous guest, has used it to control her pain. Are you surprised that it's been so effective for her? Absolutely not. We've been using uh, Botox for trigeminal neuralgia for many, many, many years. And to maximize the benefit of Botox from an, a pain-relieving point of view, mm-hmm. it's best not to inject the muscle. It's best to inject subcutaneously, which is being just underneath the skin, because the sensory nerves that need to be targeted are just underneath the skin, not necessarily in the muscle. And so we've been able to successfully treat people with uh, so-called primary or idiopathic, meaning trigeminal neuralgia for no clear cause, or so-called secondary trigeminal neuralgia, uh, trigeminal neuralgia when uh, a nerve injury occurred because of a tumor or um, dental injury or things like that, uh, very, very successfully with very small amounts of toxin, usually 10, 20 units, mm-hmm. along the course of the region where people experience their pain. Right. And for Kathy and for others, it's been an amazing experience for them. People who may be listening saying, oh, it's just a placebo response. And they're getting, <laughs> people don't come back for years to the placebo response. And there's no cosmetic benefit yeah. for that. There's no other benefits. So. Right, right. You know, Charles, I've seen some studies that have shown 50% reduction in pain intensity and frequency for trigeminal neuralgia. Oh, we see even better than that. Wow. A person who moved to this area from New York City who was on three different medicines for her trigeminal neuralgia, had failed microvascular, you know, surgical treatment mm-hmm. and various nerve blocks for management of her trigeminal neuralgia, and now is on a baby dose of one of those medicines and having no pain at all in between Botox injections. Charles, it seems like most of your patients benefit then. Absolutely. And there have been very few people who have not benefited from that treatment. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a powerful statement. And it seems like the botulinum toxin benefits regardless of the cause of the facial pain or the trigeminal neuralgia. Yes. So in one instance, we take care of a retired musician who had surgery. There was a a lip lesion that needed to be operated on. Mm -hmm. And as a consequence of that, developed a secondary kind of TN-like pain within a division of the trigeminal nerve and has been very responsive. 
But really, what's important to a person, and I'm sure, I hope you would agree, is can I do the activities that mean most to me? Mm-hmm. This person couldn't play the French horn after this surgery, but now can. I mean, and, and this person did play the French horn to begin with, so let me just make that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're giving a great example, Charles, though, of not only the benefits of Botox in terms of pain relief, but functional improvement. The patient can now play the French horn. Have you seen changes not only in relief, but in improvements in associated conditions like anxiety, depression, and sleep? Oh, absolutely. There's a reason why TN is called suicide headache. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you don't know when the next sudden onset of severe pain is going to occur, that's just so anxiety-producing. Absolutely, and leads to depression and sleep deprivation. I have some patients for whom Botox does not seem to help after the first treatment. Have you had that same problem? Many of us who have been using Botox now for over 20 years for pain had said the benefit of the drug builds with successive treatments, mm-hmm. and it may wear off before you measure the benefit again if you only do it once. Right. So we advise people to at least go through this procedure two to three times. And so for some people, the benefit is very transient, very temporary mm-hmm. at the beginning, and they think it's not going to work. Right. But by the second or third treatment, it builds in duration, builds in benefit, and it becomes a sustainable kind of benefit. Yes. I mean, there are cumulative effects that we see in a lot of different painful conditions, especially migraine and trigeminal neuralgia. In some of my patients, the duration of effect can be five or six months. Oh, well, well, you know, we treat one particular individual at six-month intervals. Mm-hmm. started at uh, shorter intervals and expanded and went to four and then five. And so we've established now a regimen for years of every six months. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a long time. That's right. Where does Botox work in the body? We'll find out after the break. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Boston Scientific, a leader in microelectric implantable technologies used to treat chronic neuropathic pain. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Welcome back. You know, uh, Charles, in animal studies, it seems that Botox may reduce the release of something called CGRP, which is a substance that's a major cause of inflammation. uh, And that CGRP is also found in trigeminal neurons, as a matter of fact. Other experiments have seen that botulinum toxin actually travels to a part of the brain called the medulla in the central nervous system, which is pretty amazing. That is certainly um, the product of certain studies that have been published and done, and now there have been some attempts to actually inject Botox into the sensory control tower of the spinal cord, the dorsal root ganglia. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is we still don't know where it works. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know. You know, I wonder whether uh, this therapy should be offered before medication therapy and especially before gamma knife or microvascular decompression for trigeminal neuralgia. The problem with this is that we, we like to use, quote-unquote, evidence-based medicine and evidence-based medical principles, mm-hmm. since each person who we take care of is so different, it wouldn't be easy to determine if Botox for people in general was better ahead of microvascular decompression or gamma knife. However, I really like your question because it 
does make sense to use some uh, treatment that is less invasive first. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, you know, there are studies that have supported the efficacy for injecting Botox for trigeminal neuralgia, a couple of high-quality studies, and many reports of favorable outcomes. Uh, Charles, have you seen any side effects from injecting the face for trigeminal neuralgia? Absolutely. I have personally treated people who had slight asymmetry of their face, Mm -hmm. despite my best efforts not to have that happen. It's not common, but it does happen. But it's reversible. It definitely is. Uh, Charles, what's your experience with Botox for low back pain? In the presence of significant muscle spasm, Mm -hmm. it may be beneficial. The other area of kind of low back buttock discomfort in which I found it to be very successful is in piriformis syndrome. You mentioned that you've used it Mm -hmm. in that setting earlier. Exactly. Very, very successful as well. What about post-herpetic neuralgia or or chronic shingles pain? In my experience, it's amazingly helpful. Mm -hmm. It's not a muscle issue. It's a cutaneous, meaning skin, nerve issue. Right. And so we have found great response. I'm perplexed by the lack of similar findings in most randomized controlled studies that have been done. And a randomized controlled trial is a term used in clinical research, and it's considered to be the gold standard for a clinical trial. A lot of treatment recommendations are based on randomized controlled trials. Uh, Charles, how about painful diabetic neuropathy? Not intramuscularly, but subcutaneously or intradermally. Mm -hmm. There has been the best response for people with diabetic neuropathy who we take care of who have pain primarily in their feet. I have found it most helpful, not as the only treatment, but in combination with others. Right. And I know that you've done some work on injecting Botox for a condition called complex regional pain syndrome. We presented years ago at the World Pain Congress in Vienna, a series of people with upper extremity CRPS who benefited from Botox. And there have been subsequent studies since There are case reports of it being uh, injected into the dorsal root ganglion under x-ray guidance Mm -hmm. and with benefit. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a tremendous potential for using Botox or botulinum toxin in CRPS patients. Yeah, I agree. And how about for phantom limb pain? A physiatrist who I work with at Albany Med and I have both had tremendously good experience in injecting the stump of individuals with phantom pain, Mm -hmm. and we've had moderate success in that setting. I've had really good success in injecting the hands with Botox for patients who have a syndrome called hyperhidrosis, which is excessive sweating. Absolutely, and Botox is approved for a form of hyperhidrosis as well. Yeah, it is. Before we close, how do you see Botox being used in the future? Uh, I hope that there'll be expanded documentation of the benefits, meaning I hope that there'll be even more robust studies to evaluate the use, because I think you bring up a very, 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 very good point. But one point that really resonates is, should Botox be used ahead of many other treatments for some of the other painful conditions Mm -hmm before exposing people to potentially harmful, invasive procedures, even if the harm is acceptable at risk, Mm -hmm. but more harmful oral medications. And could it be not the treatment of last resort, but maybe a treatment that's used earlier, would we be helping people more that way? I wonder the same thing too. That is, whether we should use botulinum toxin earlier on in the course of therapy, maybe even as a first-line therapy, like we're beginning to do for migraine headache prophylaxis. 
I also wonder whether botulinum toxin can be reformulated into an extended release form that might last, gosh, a year or more. That would be wonderful too. Or if it could be modified to target other structures within the, the nerve that would enhance its benefit as well. I agree. Targeting structures in the peripheral nerves or even in the spinal cord would be amazing. Also, I want to make sure that everyone remembers that botulinum toxin may require two to three treatments before you see an initial benefit, so don't give up if the first treatment fails. Dr. Argoff, it was a pleasure having you on the show once again. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this show on botulinum toxin for migraine as well as other painful conditions. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.